At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer an evangelical, with your hosts, hosts, authors Keith Giles and Matthew J. DiStefano. Hello, all you cool cats and kittens. Meow, baby. Meow. Good morning, Keith. It's another episode of uh, your fourth favorite podcast. Yes, it is. (laughs) Oh, yes. No, no. I love doing these. I really do. And uh, looking forward to it. This is uh, going to be a lot of fun, I hope. Um, Send your second cup of coffee. Second cup. Having my second cup. Second cup. Oh, shameless plug, you son of a bitch. Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) <laughs> You're really pulling the thread on this one. I'm pulling the threads right off of that one there. Yep. Yeah. Well, before we get going, um, to all those listening, we know the numbers. And so we don't have as many numbers as listen to it as review on iTunes. So if you're listening and you haven't reviewed on iTunes, go to iTunes right now and please rate and review this show. Please do. And yes, please, please also uh, support our sponsors because, you know, it's really important for us to be able to continue to do the show. Uh, all of our sponsors have been really supportive. Uh, we're really just really blessed that we have sponsors. And so, you know, if you would support them, um, th- th- that would be that would mean a lot to us. Really. Uh, it would mean a lot. And, and speaking of sponsors, we're going to piggyback kind of where we left off with our last sponsor. And this one's a little similar and you're, you're going to notice a theme. And <laughs> yeah. so, producer, if you could cue that up for us, that'd be great. You know, one of the things that makes this country great is the fact that every American has the right to practice their religion without fear. This means that Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, Sikhs, and Jews should back off so real Americans like us can freely practice our God-given right to pray where we want, worship Jesus at a crime scene, or say Merry Christmas at Starbucks. Hello, I'm Pastor Greg Masters. And if you're like me, you're concerned about religious freedom in America. Do you want a mosque on every street corner? Or Buddhist kids praying next to yours in school? I didn't think so. That's why I created Religious Freedom For Me. To fight for my religious rights and keep America free of other religions. Just like our founding fathers intended. If you'd like to help us fight for your religious freedom, please visit www.religiousfreedomforme.com today. Your generous donation will help us in our fight to keep America Christian. Remember, America gave us religious freedom. Now, we just need to get free from those other religions so we can enjoy our freedom as God intended. Don't you don't you love that stock 
that stock audio. <laughs> I really do. The music really makes that uh, makes it really really gives that extra special little touch. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, if if you haven't noticed, part of part of my skill set is making pointless audio and putting it together with music as we did in our pal pal episode of heretic happy hour that was beautiful it, it really is a um a pointless skill of mine yes i gotta say yes Go, speaking of that pal episode uh the clip that we pulled them all together my favorite part was <laughs> it still makes me laugh when you started playing the sad violins the sad violin oh god i that's when i lost it it was just so beautiful <laughs> Yeah, well, it's yeah, it's one of those things. There's so much stock audio that I have access to, and it's like I could spend a little more time and make it perfect. But it's like sometimes just just you know, put some just put some music to it. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> so beautiful. Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, you know, thank you, Pastor Masters. Uh, we'll Master have to have Masters. You back. I think Master I, I, Pastor, the Master Pastor, Pastor Masters. I think uh, he may come back again. We may have, we may have to hear from him again uh, down the road. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. We'll see if. Um, you know, if he has something else to offer, then absolutely. Uh, friends of the show are always welcome back. Um, yes. Maybe um, maybe we'll do a poll and see if our listeners, you know, if they have any suggestions on on who we should reach out for a, for a sponsorship. Oh, that'd be great. Yes, please, please do. You know, we love hearing from listeners. So yes, if you have any feedback, uh, suggestions for ideas for yeah. future sponsors you'd like to have us approach and maybe, yeah. maybe they'd be willing to support us. Uh, that'd be great. Yeah. Yes. Then just text the hotline 240-343-7379. Again, that's 240-343-7379. Yes. And when you call that number, please specify apostates anonymous. <laughs> yeah. Please troll, please troll their hotline. Yes. And, oh, and let, let them know. Uh, anyway. Yes. As we promised uh, last week, Keith, I, well, I wanted to talk about, you going full heretic and what you mean by that, maybe expand on your Pathos article. And then we can maybe broaden the scope of our discussion and just talk about what heresy means and what it means to you and why it's a pointless term and why, I mean, for God's sake, we have two podcasts where we tongue in cheek yes. heretic and apostate. And so obviously it, it's a meaningless term for us, but right. you know, what do you start off? Maybe what, what do you mean by that? Well, yeah, when I wrote that article, it was just, I think what, um, well, a couple of things, a couple of things sort of led to that. So one of them was, I am just getting more and more exhausted um, seeing posts on Facebook or even people asking directly me, asking me questions directly, um, uh, kind of like this, questions that are like, you know, um, Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, so what do you think, what do you, th why do you think Eve ate the apple? What, what do you think Adam was thinking about when blah, 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 like as if they're real people. Right. Yeah. And so that drives me crazy or, or stuff like, you know, you know, you think, do you think Satan and the demons uh, are going to be saved uh, at the end of time since you're a universalist or, or, you know, what do you think Satan is doing right now in the world and how is Satan manipulating uh, governments or blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know, there's no actual guy named Satan, right? So th those kinds of things, that literalism of the Bible, um, uh, just also people like uh, constantly being, having, it, dropping in conversations, you know, again, mostly on social media, but things like, there'll be a disagreement about something and then somebody wants to win the argument by saying, yeah, but the Bible says this and here's cut and paste, you know, the, this verse says this and, you know, case closed. And, and I'm just beyond caring anymore what the Bible says about this or that. I mean, I, I, I know that's dangerous for me to say on one level. Um, 
because I don't want it to sound like I, I don't, I don't value at least there, there's some good things in the Bible, but I'm, I'm beyond feeling like it's the only thing that I'm going to refer to. And it's certainly not something that I, oh, well, it says it in the Bible, so I can't do this or that. I have to live this way or that way, or I have to think this way because they did. So I, I guess I just noticed I'm moving away from that kind of way of approaching the Bible. I mean, I kind of was all, already there, but I, I feel like I'm moving way beyond it now. Um, or I just, I don't even want to pretend anymore. You know, I just, I just want to just let everybody know I don't care. I don't care what it says and I'm not going to live my life by, by that stuff. Um, so that was part of it. And then the second half of that equation was that I've just started reading, uh, a lot of the Gnostic text and, um, really like I, I read the gospel of truth, which I never even ever heard of it before. Um, and uh, so I read that and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I've been, and I'm doing a study right now on the gospel of Thomas on my Patreon page. I'm doing, it's called the inner circle. And every Friday I'm posting, um, an article where we look at one of the sayings of Jesus from the gospel of Thomas and kind of exploring what it's saying, what it's about and, uh, all of that. So I, I really find myself leaning more towards that direction. Right. So I think becoming more Gnostic is definitely something that people would say that's heretical. Um, well, literally so as in like, yes. the history. Yeah. Yes. The way they treated, uh, Valentinius or, uh, or Marcion or those guys. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm, I'm more comfortable just coming out and saying, yeah, you know what? I really appreciate a lot of the, what, what they call those Gnostic texts. I don't really know. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that, but, um, uh, but yeah, like when I read the, even the gospel of Mary Magdalene, believe it or not, you know, I read that, I read the gospel of Philip, I read, um, you know, some of these other texts. There's another one called thunder something perfect voice or something like that. Um, that's also really interesting. Anyway, just, uh, just that I, I'm feeling like that's more where I'm curious about. I'm, I'm leaning more in that direction and the whole idea of non-duality and connection and oneness and all that. Um, much more excited about that kind of stuff. And you find that in the Bible too, by the way, you find that in the new Testament a lot as well. Um, well, and you would find a lot of what you're saying in a, in a mystical Christian tradition as well. Yeah, so yes. uh, CC Rohr, Merton, yeah. um, yeah. yeah. Teresa of Avila, Teresa of Avila sure. Julian, Julian of Norwich. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Would you still identify as a Christian or a, a heretical Christian? Obviously, just because you're on apostates anonymous doesn't mean you're necessarily an apostate. We're playing right. with the, with the language there, and we don't really give a shit what it means. Um, but would you would you self identify as a Christian still, or does it not not matter to you? I think I'm at the phase right now where it kind of just doesn't matter to me. Right. Okay. Um, if some if some people still would listen to what I say and say, no, no, Keith's still a Christian. I'd say, okay. And if other people yeah. listen to me and said, I don't think Keith's a Christian anymore, I'd be like, okay. Like like you said, it doesn't really yeah. bother me one way or the other anymore. It, it, it's just become, I think that's part of what I'm saying. Like I just, I used to care about that stuff a whole lot more. And I'm realizing now I don't necessarily care so much whether or not what I believe fits into even a historical Christian framework. Um, because I'm even I'm even feeling more like what a lot of that historical Christian framework. Like uh, I've 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 spent a lot of my time blogging and podcasting, always appealing back to the early church, right, the pre-Constantinian church. And I do really like right. that phase of Christianity. I think that's the best. <laughs> that was the golden age, right there, of Christianity, right there. 
Um, but even then, even that, like I've been reading Elaine Pagel's book, uh, Beyond Belief, where she goes into more of the history and some of the tension between, you know, Tertullian and Irenaeus and uh, these guys and some of these Gnostic people. And when I see the way they responded to people who just had different views and different ideas, and that's why I wrote, wrote a post after my I'm Going Heretic one about that and just said like, dude, this deconstruction movement started back then. It was going on, you know, around Tertullian and Irenaeus, like, you know, late first, early second century. Deconstruction had already started. People were already saying, yeah, yeah, I know the Bible says this. Yeah, yeah, I know Paul says this. But what about these other things, right? And right. people were already redefining terms and rethinking meanings and questioning things and wanting to move away. And a lot of the ways those early Christians responded by calling people heretics, by uh, coming up with the creeds, by um, by deciding, you know, what was the canon of Scripture, that was all specifically about eliminating um, these other texts, the Gospel of Thomas, you know, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Philip. They wanted these things out. They did not want these things to be considered a scripture. And so that's why they were so eager uh, when, when Constantine shows up and says, you know, guys, you should have you should have a statement of faith. What, you, what, what makes somebody a Christian? They're like, yes, great idea. Let's do it. And now we've got the back, we've got the the Roman government backing us up, the empire is going to going to enforce this by the sword. You've got to agree with us, right? Or these are the only books, which means it's not these other books. Um, that was, a, that was all about winning this war, you know, the war. In other words, they had declared war on deconstruction way back then, right? Before Sorry, John, John Cooper did. Way yeah. before John Cooper. Yes. Yeah. They, had, they yeah. Had declared war on deconstruction and this was their way of winning the war. Well, just look at the things Tertullian has said about like, there's one quote in, in particular that I've used before about how something to the effect of when he's in heaven, he's going to look down on the philosophers who argued and disagreed with him with glee as they like writhe about in the flames. And I'm like, God damn, like John Cooper, eat your heart out. You ain't got nothing on Tertullian. Tertullian's a gangster. Like, yeah, like these yeah. people. Yeah. The people who they declared war on intellectually. Like. I, I'm I'm guessing that Tertullian literally thought that at some point in his posthumous life and existence that he would he would get the last word when he sees his his uh, intellectual foes yep. suffering for all eternity in hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and you know, this is the thing. Tertullian is somebody. Um, like early on, when I first came across him, I was only reading certain quotes of him, right? So uh -huh. when I would read quotes, Tertullian's quotes, let's say about his ecclesiology, I'd be like, oh yes, so good. Oh yeah, yeah, love it. Or when I'd read quotes from Tertullian about nonviolence and, uh, you know, enemy love and all that, kind of, yes, oh yeah, he gets it. Oh, this guy is great. And then I read a quote of his about women. About women, God damn. <laughs> like, screw this guy. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I, I want to go back in time and just kick this guy in the nuts. He's like <laughs> such a dick. And then, like you said, then then I'm reading Elaine Pagel's book, and she's getting going more into like his reactions um, to Valentinus and and all these other guys. And yeah, dude, he was not a nice guy, really yeah. not not a very nice guy. So, and a lot of these guys are that way, you know. Um, I think uh, oh, I can't remember who it was now. My my brain was it Irenaeus? I'm trying to think if it was Irenaeus. Do you need Do you need third cup with Keith? Maybe I need a third cup. <laughs> I don't have the book in front of me, so I can't remember who it was. But uh, I, I want to say it was Irenaeus. 
anyway, there was one guy that sort of made it his mission to uh, to silence these guys. Uh, Valentinus was the guy that they think Valentinus was the one who wrote the Gospel of Truth. If it wasn't him, it was one of his disciples. And um, it's so beautiful. I mean, the language in the Gospel of Truth, first of all, it's all about connection and oneness, right, with God, non-duality. There's no separation and all that, which is really great. I'm really leaning more in that direction anyway. Um, but then the way it talks about, it talks about God as being a mystery, which I love because my next book's all about this. Um, how God is a mystery that we cannot, um, that God is beyond our comprehension. Uh, and it, it uses these beautiful terms to describe God as, you know, like it talks about Jesus of the infinite sweetness. And it talks about God as the one beyond, you know, beyond uh, speaking of, beyond expression, beyond comprehension. Um, I just think, man, this is so great. So here's the thing. If I lived back then, guess what? I would have been Gnostic. I would have been hanging out with Valentinus. I would have been like, I would have been one of those guys that Irenaeus and, and uh, these other guys would have been saying, yep, that guy's a heretic. So, or, you know, way, way out, out in left field. And that's just uh, kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that um, that we have the same sort of debates almost 2,000 years later. Yeah. And there are still groups who... So it's like, for me, it's like the gatekeepers of the faith have declared us heretics where we yeah. don't really care about the terms necessarily. No, no. And so for me, it's like, okay, you took away my Christian card long ago. Uh, my Christian ID card, my my membership club. Your membership card, yes. And I'm to the point where I'm like, fine, have it. I don't give a fuck. It doesn't affect me in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> and the only thing you have over us is your threat of hell. Yeah. And and since we don't believe in it, it's really not much of a threat at all. It's it's like, you know, at least today, for the most part, people aren't going to come and kill you for being a heretic. Right. Now, obviously, we have a history of doing that. So they'll ostracize you and they'll demonize you on social media and things like that. But you know what? Have it. Have have yeah. my have my good Christian standing. And if your God needs me to have my good Christian standing, then I have a lot of questions for that God because yeah. he certainly seems a little bit egocentric and insecure and, and like he's making up for a lot of stuff, just kind of like y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, um, I really, I really recommend if anyone hasn't read Elaine Pagel's book, um, Beyond Belief, it's so fascinating because there's a place in there where she's talking about this tension between, um, and I just looked it up, by the way, it was Irenaeus, um, how, you know, so he saw these, these so-called quote unquote Gnostic Christians, and we should probably address that term in a minute. But anyway, these, what we have current now termed these Gnostic Christians, Valentinus, uh, Ptolemy, uh, Heraclion, um, uh, people like that. So, um, Irenaeus called them heretical, right, and uh, was opposing them. But then there's a quote in from her book where he says, you know, um, let's see, he, where, they, where they respond to him saying, we too have accepted the faith that you describe, and we have confessed the same things that you profess, faith in one God, in Jesus Christ, in the virgin birth, in the resurrection, when we were baptized. But since that time, following Jesus' injunction to, quote, seek and you will find, have been striving to go beyond the church's elementary precepts to attain spiritual maturity. So, 
you know, they're, they're saying at least some things I used to say at the very beginning of my deconstruction journey, which was that, you know, you're trying to define me out of the club. You're trying to tell me I'm not a Christian because I don't believe in penal substitution and all these things. And I'm like, hey, listen, I believe most of the things that you believe, most of the things you believe, right? Right. Um, like uh, on that list, no, I wouldn't say virgin birth and resurrection, but but I would I would redefine that probably differently than they would. But anyway, it, th- it doesn't matter. The point is, I do believe in some of the ba- all the basic things that you believe in, and yet because I see them slightly different, because I have a different perspective on some of those things, and and I've gone a little bit further down the road to some and so, to some other things. You know, you, you're you are determined um, to cancel me, disqualify me, uh, you know, ruin me in the eyes of other people. And that's exactly what Irenaeus was doing. He was going around sending letters to churches, telling them, do not read Valentinus's um, writings. Do not read the Gospel of Thomas. Do not read the Gospel of Truth. Do not teach on these things. But here's the thing that was so amazing. Not only was he unsuccessful in that, trying to, trying to like cancel them basically like that, like telling everybody in the internet of the day, which was like, one letter at a time being sent by a runner, you know, yeah. it'll get there a month from now, hopefully if it, and no one gets killed. Um, but anyway, that's what he was trying to do um, to ruin them, cancel them, you know, silence them, demonize them. It didn't work. And it, for two reasons, one, a lot of the, a lot of the people in the churches around that time who were get, who received his letter were reading it and they were like, but you know what? The people in my church who follow those kinds of thinking, the, the Valentinius and the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Truth and all that stuff, the, 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 that group of people are my best people. They're the most loving, kind, giving, you know, active people in my church. I'm not going to kick them out. You're crazy. And then the other reason why it didn't work was that most of the people who were in that movement following, you know, Valentinus and Ptolemy and all those guys, the, the quote unquote Gnostics, they were pastors. They were the leaders of those churches. And that's what was crazy. And again, very similar to deconstruction today. So many people that I talk to and like our square one thing who go through deconstruction, I mean, I have at least two or three every time I do a square one who are to say, I'm, a, I'm currently a pastor of a church. If they knew I was deconstructing, I'd lose my job. Or I was a pastor for years and years and years, and I finally just couldn't do it anymore and I quit. It's the same thing. Like f- from the beginning, this has been the issue. And, um, that's kind of what, that's kind of what Phil Drysdale's uh, research has shown. The more involved you are, the more likely you are to deconstruct. Yes. That was fascinating. Yeah. That was fascinating, but it makes sense. It's like those who deconstruct are often accused of not taking the faith seriously or not holding to convictions. And it's like, well, no, some of us wrestled with these things and really thought about these things all the time. We weren't just like Sunday Christians. We were there on Wednesday. We were setting up music. We were tearing down. We were volunteering. People were going on missions trips. And, and, and like Phil says, like, it doesn't mean you're going to deconstruct. It just means that the percentages are skewed toward, you know, those who are more involved tend to deconstruct the most. Right. Because you, you ask questions, you're you're reading and you're noticing that doesn't line up. You know, what I'm reading here doesn't line up with what my pastor is teaching or or what I'm experiencing. Right. So let's talk about Gnosticism because you've kind of painted a rosy picture of it, but I have some thoughts on it that I don't like. First of all, it seems contradictory when you say the non-dual ideas of Gnosticism that within Gnosticism, 
and maybe particularly like Augustinian Gnosticism, where he came from, Manichaean Gnosticism, that there is a flesh spirit split. Yes. And the flesh order is seen as as negative or bad, while the spirit order is seen as positive or good and from God. And to me, that smacks of dualism. No, no, I totally agree. And that, that's why I, I wanted to clarify when, when I talk about Gnosticism, because again, um, <clears throat> before I ever read any Gnostic text ever, right? So I only heard about Gnosticism from like maybe a Bible study going through one of Paul's letters and they're saying, oh, right here, he's attacking Gnosticism, you know, the Gnostic teaching and stuff. Like, oh, oh, okay. Well, what's Gnosticism? Well, my, my Baptist pastor or, you know, Sunday school teacher would say, um, well, Gnosticism was all about the, the flesh is evil and the spirit is good and blah, blah, blah. And that is true. There is an element of Gnosticism that that was what they believed. And, and Gnosticism, I mean, I, when I talked to Matthew Corman about this, he was, he's wonderful. He's a great resource on this. You know, he talked about how the fact that like, there really is no one Gnosticism in the same way there's really sort of no, right. one, no one Christianity. Right, right, right. There, right it right. is a crazy wide spectrum of things. So within Gnosticism, yes, some people do take the flesh is evil, spirit is good um, mentality, and they take it to extremes, right? Yes. Um, now that's which, so which I, can be then used to like demonize, especially women and bodies oh, yeah. and this and that. Absolutely. Which, which of course, Augustine did. Manichaeanism was, you know, yeah. very, very notorious for that. So when I say Gnosticism, that I'm moving toward a Gnostic direction, I do not mean that. I do not embrace that. I don't. That's not the the side of Gnosticism that 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 appeals to me the, it, specifically the side of Gnosticism when I say, and I, maybe I should even use that term because it, it I know it carries these connotations. Um, yeah. uh, well, it, really what I'm saying is I, I embrace the non-dualism that I see yeah. in, in a lot of the, in some of the writings. Again, I've not read all of them, yeah. but of right. the ones I've read when I see how, how this non-dualistic teaching was, uh, was embedded in, was such a core part, especially the gospel of Thomas uh, in fact, that that was that's what unlocked the Gospel of Thomas for me. Um, I, re- I found this really great book called The Hidden Gospel of Thomas by William Duffy. And um, until I read that book, I thought the Gospel of Thomas was the stupidest thing I'd ever read. If you just read it flat and you don't have any context to it, it is just gobbledygook. It's nonsensical, nursery rhyme, you know, blah, blah, quasi, quasi wisdom. It just, it reads like, goofy stupid stuff and like it makes no sense but um what duffy's book helped me to see was like okay it, but if you approach the gospel of thomas the sayings of jesus and the gospel of thomas as that they are all about non-dualism and the illusion of separation now read it now if you read it from that perspective it makes complete sense it's like oh uh, that that has to be what this was all about and so um that's what I resonate with. I think it's so fascinating to me. And then to see also how um, that non-dualistic teaching, it really did kind of sneak into the Gospel of John, Colossians, uh, Ephesians, which I which I find really fascinating because, you know, we know that Paul did not write, well, some of us know that, or suspect that Paul didn't write Colossians or Ephesians. And yet those are the two books that seem to have the most... Um, you know, non-dualistic kinds of teachings in the New Testament, other than John, let's say, or maybe First John, um, and, a, and a handful of other places. But it's fascinating to me how that sort of did sort of creep into those, you know, some of the original early New Testament uh, letters and writings that became canonized. It's there. 
So the influence was there. It, it was there from the beginning. Um, that's fascinating to me. And, uh, and that's what I resonate with. So when I talk about Gnosticism, that's what I talk about resonating with. Not, not the flesh is evil, only spirit is good kind of way of thinking of it. And, and I guess yeah. I tend to think, I think where that came from, I, I'm just totally speculating here. Um, but I think where this idea of where flesh kind of got demonized and spirit kind of got elevated, I, I would guess possibly um, it could arise from a non-dualistic t- uh, framework in the sense that if if your body, if the flesh is something that in your mind reinforces your separateness from other people, right? Well, I'm in this body and you're in that body, right? And this other person's over here in a different body. That, uh, you know, because because what they're saying is that they, that's an illusion. The Anything that you see that that appears to support this idea of separation is an illusion because that's not reality. Reality is connection to oneness. It doesn't mean that you don't have a body. Of course you do. It's just saying that um, it's not an expression of ultimate reality. So I could see where you could go from that, like saying, no, your body, your separateness in your body from another person's physical body is an illusion. Uh, the reality is everyone is connected right to each other and to God and everything else. Um, I could then see it going from that statement to for someone to push it as far as to say, therefore, the body is completely you know bad because of these other things. Yeah, I think that's then to betray your own logic, though, too, because to be to be totally non-dual is to accept the dualism of our separate bodies. Yes. While while you and I are definitely connected, you and I are definitely uh, unique and and distinct. I'm not you, and you're not me. That's right. And you're in Keto, and I'm in El Paso, so we're definitely separate. (laughs) But the beauty the beauty in accepting the balance of the two of the kind of contradictory and juxtaposed things is that. You and I can recognize our interconnectedness, but then have the space with which to even discuss this. Yeah. So we, we need that separateness in order to even have this conversation. And so if we if we push the pendulum too far, that's when we get into the, well, therefore, the body is bad or the flesh is bad when it's like, no, I, I mean, something that will always stick with me is the Richard Rohr quote of to reject all dualism is itself dualistic. Right. And so we we need those things. If you want to tell me how to drive to El Paso, I need to know whether to turn left or right, and 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 all those sort of things. And, and we need those. It doesn't matter, well, Matt. You know what? Just eventually, yeah. eventually, you'll arrive. Yeah. yeah. Don't be dual, Matt. Don't just if it's a red light or a green light, just man, just live, man. Yeah. So yes. so yeah, I mean, I, I I totally agree with you on that because even reading as I'm reading through this uh, the Gospel of Thomas thing, and uh, you know each of the sayings of Jesus are meant to sort of bring you back to this idea of how separateness is an illusion and all that. I do think, yes, you can definitely take this too far. Um, and you can reach a level of uh, just, it's ridiculous, right? Like you can't deny all uh, separation because we do experience, in other words, in our experience, yes, we do experience this separation on different levels. I, I, but I, but I think it's more of saying like that, that separation, which is real and we do absolutely experience that, that in itself is not the ultimate expression of who God is and what the universe is like. So there's analogies, right? You could say like, if I put my hand into a glove and if I 
if I like drew little faces on each of my fingers and put hair on them and a hat and clothing and say, okay, so this is Bob and this is Steve. Like each finger had a different name and a different personality and I can move them independently. See, look, they're all different. But when I pull my hand out of the glove, it's one hand and it's Keith. It's all me, right? There's that, That's one analogy of way of looking at it. It's not, it's not saying that, that I don't have individual fingers and that they don't have, I can't move them independently. Of course I do. But the the ultimate reality behind that is they're all my hand and they're all yeah. part of me. And I, that's just one way of kind of thinking about, uh, again, it, it, it's tough because these are analogies and it's really sometimes uh, difficult to wrap your brain around it, right? Yeah. And, and, and analogies do help. And, and in fact, they're probably one of the only ways we can really talk about these things and, and because I think the truth of the matter is that let's let's just agree for a second that there is objective truth. We can only approach it subjectively. Yeah. So it reminds me of the, um, you know, I wrote an article recently about everyone being saved. Now, I think that's an objective truth, but subjectively, someone pointed out, like, how can you say people are saved when there's war and there's famine and there's what's going on in Ukraine and everything? And I said, yeah, yeah you're you're exactly right. I don't think those people are experiencing salvation because right. they're not exper- experiencing healing or wholeness in in the present. That doesn't. So it's like there's a, there's a, a objectively everyone is is everything's going to be fine. Everything's good. Everyone's saved if you want to use that language. Yeah. But subjectively, we all experience hell. That's right. And so there's these two these two like almost mutually exclusive realities that are going on. Yeah. And, and so it's like, uh, you know, it, it, it all harkens back to this kind of like to accept the dualism is the, is the unitive, uh, approach is the non, is the truly non-dual approach is to, it's, it's like, it's the one reason why I, I, I bristle at some of Buddhism where to kill the ego to, it's like, no, you can't to put the, to, to put the ego in its proper place. Yes. Cause the. Only the ego can say to kill the ego because we have to have our ego in order to communicate. We have to use words, to use language. Yes. Um, so we have to have we have to have a truly unitive experience by accepting the the non duality, right? And embracing it, and 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 not letting it run amok, but putting it in its proper place with balance. Right. Yeah. And I think like your analogy about like or you know the idea about is everybody saved, but not everyone's experiencing it. It's I, I would say the similar thing about you know, is when I, when I say Christ is in everyone yeah. and then people will push back and say, well, so Christ is in a child molester. Christ is in a rapist. Christ is in a murderer. Christ is in a torturer. Yes. But it, when that person is doing those things, they're not experiencing, they're not living through the Christ that's in them. They're, they're not acknowledging the Christ that's in them. They're, they're oblivious to that, you know, to the degree that you are aware of the Christ in you and you are living out of that identity of that Christ is in you. That if you did that, then you wouldn't be able to be a murderer, a rapist, a torturer, like all these things. Like so, what these yeah. what these things are is not evidence that Christ isn't in those people or in those people that do those things. It's just evidence that in that moment, or at least at this point in this person's life, they're not living out of that reality. Um, and that and so that's uh, that's another distinction, right? Whether you're experiencing yeah. it or whether you're living out of the reality of it, um, it doesn't negate the truth of the statement that Christ is in everyone. Yeah, it's it's just um, we like to split things up into binary, though. We like to it's like um, 
you know, when you talk about when you talk about free will and predestination, it's yeah. like people cannot conceptualize the fact that it can be kind of both, a right? Little both, yeah. Or a li- uh, yeah, a little of both, or maybe like a third way. Yeah. And you know, to use like I think this is where like Tolkien and Tolkien's writings got it like correct. Like Iluvatar ha- is the god figure, and there is a like a almost predestined direction that the people of Middle Earth are to go. But there's many roads that get there, and and a part of this whole mythology is the the, the volition of the characters, yeah. the elves or men or dwarves or hobbits, and courage. So it's two other ingredients that they have to have, and it's not a direct path. You know, Calvinists like to talk about like a direct predestination almost, and right. then, you know, free will theists like their Arminians or whatever like to it's all human volition, whereas. It's this like it's this third way, really. It's this it's this it's a bit of both. It's it's God having a plan. Yeah. And there being many, many, many roads that take you there. Right. And that's a fascinating. I mean, gosh, I I spent so many years of my life when I was doing apologetics in college, like uh, debating and uh, that whole thing about free will. and Were you a master debater? (laughs) In in more ways than one. Yes. you know, so the idea, like, you get into these little things about, you know, being, that God is a being outside of time, and time is like this, uh, uh, sort of a, like a pen, or, you know, something like an object that God can step out out of and see the, be- there's the beginning, the middle, and there, here's how it ends, you know, here's how time and space all resolve in the end, and so, but if you zoom into, you know, a particular moment on that timeline, people are making choices. So they have freedom in their moment, in their in the moment that they're in. But um but time has already for God, time has already played out and he knows how the movie ends. So it's like the, the idea that God knows what's going to happen does not mean God makes it happen. It means that in that moment people made free choices to do certain things and God just happens to know what those choices are. So it's like for example, if I watch a movie if I'm watching, and I watch lots of movies. If I'm watching a movie, even a movie I've never seen before, right? And I know for a fact that if that lady opens that door, that guy's going to jump out with a machete and kill her. I know it. I know for a fact. Like, come on. It's going to happen. Here it comes. Here it comes. Oh, she opens the door. Aha. There's the guy with the machete and he kills her. Did I, did I write the script? No. Did I, was I directing that movie? No. Did I tell that guy to jump out and kill her? No. But I just knew it was going to happen because I can kind of see where this is going, right? So you could know what's going to happen with, you know, pretty certainty, right? But that doesn't mean you made it happen. Um, but I, again, this is one of these things too, where I just don't give a shit anymore about this stuff. I don't care. Yep. yep me neither. <laughs> the whole like, like, you know, Greg Boyd had this whole thing. He got into trouble, this whole open theology thing. And and Thomas J. Ord, you know, his is, I think, a little bit more of like a, continuation of that idea that God doesn't know what's going to happen and because it hasn't happened yet. And so all that stuff, it's just another perspective and it's, it's interesting and it's, it's fun to have these philosophical conversations, but at the end of the day, I'm not walking around living my life. Yeah. That seems such a limit on like that. Just, yeah. I mean, it just, it seems like an interesting conversation, but then it seems like it doesn't like, again, like, are we just trying to like systematize God? Because yeah. like right there, I mean, 
I think I get why they're doing that because I think they're I, ultimately I think like the open theism question is trying to like any theological question is like it's theodicy. Yeah. It's trying to understand the problem of evil and suffering. Yes. And but it, it also it has its limits, too, because it's like if we look at the universe, like in the double slit experiment, don't things doesn't the future dictate the past in a way? Uh huh. Uh-huh. And so all, all, already that the universe then seems to know more than God. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I've heard this theory. There's a theory from physicists right now. And I, I'm not a physicist. If that's a surprise to anyone, then you shouldn't be shocked. But like next to our universe is like an anti-universe yes. that is running backward in time. Yes. I have no idea what I just fucking said. That, that, that just seems like meaningless nonsense to me. Yeah. But if that's the case, then like almost that seems to have more knowledge than God in a way. Yeah. If God can't know the future because it hasn't happened, it's like. But yeah. Well, so, yeah, I guess in a way, like, does the future even exist? Does the past even exist or is it perpetual presence like I, or nowness? I, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, but see, also, but see, OK, but here's the thing. Even in what everything we just said, that whole idea of like free will and predestination and does god do this or does god do that or does god perceive this or does god perceive that and is god allowing things is god outside of time all of that language all of that all of that conversation presupposes that god is a separate being yes yeah out there and again like yep. my whole my, what i'm moving towards now is that god isn't out there as some separate being or creature or right. person, right? That God is all of us. God is in everything. That panentheism, right? This God idea. Yeah. So, so like, okay. So we just had that awaken event uh, in Nashville, which is awesome, by the way. And um, somebody raised their hand. Jim Palmer was speaking. It was so great. He he did such a killer job. And um, so someone raised a hand, and they were asking, you know, like, why does God allow like the war in Ukraine or Suffering in the world, blah, blah, blah. So they asked him the typical question. And I just thought his answer was so great. He goes, you know, notice what the way you're asking that question. You're assuming when you ask that question that God is a being, a force uh, out there above us somewhere, uh, either orchestrating things or allowing things. But, but what if Christ is in you? So when you kind of like say, hey, God, why aren't you doing anything? Who are you talking to? Like, you should be talking to the Christ in you. <laughs> if God is in you and he's got, God is not separate from you, then to be, be frustrated that God doesn't do something to change these things, you're talking to yourself. Or at least you, you're talking in some sense to the God that you are never separated from. Or in all of us. Like, we are all this expression of God. The question isn't why does God allow it as if God is some separate outside being or force. If God is in all of us, why do we allow it? Because we are expressions of God with flesh on, right? We're God is in all of us and in everything. So uh, again, it, that, that's one of those things where as I'm shifting away from dualistic thinking and, and seeing God as not this separate person or force high above everything, um, directing things or allowing things that God is an expression of all life in the universe. Um, yeah. Then, th then those questions become kind of meaningless, kind of like yeah. pointless, you know? 
That's right. That's kind of where I'm at. I think we would talk. I think we would talk about it a little bit differently, but I think we ultimately would be pointing in the same direction because I don't. I don't see God as a separate entity with even God's own personality. See, I used to think of God yeah. having a personality. I no. God may have infinite personality, but the way it's manifest is in every one of us and everything that exists. Yes. So, I I don't I don't pray in any sort of traditional way. In fact, I, no. I just try to do that which is good and right and empathetic and compassionate. Because yeah. if that is God, then those those are just synonyms for for God. Um. And I, I, I don't look to any sort of outside external source or force or anything like that because I, I see God as almost like an empty vessel in which the entire universe is in. Yes. Um, and so why would I be praying to... See, it's funny when Derek and I... <laughs> Derek and I would say the, the same exact thing and mean totally different things. God would say... Derek would say, God, God does not exist. And I would uh. say... God does not exist. Correct. Right. Well, God is God. Thing. Derek would say God is nothing. I'd say right. God is no thing. No thing. Like, and I and I would say that, like, almost like God is like the infinite nothingness, and and everything, everything kind of flows into that nothingness. Everything in the universe, and so yeah, you're right. Why would I look to some God to end suffering when that thing that I'm talking to doesn't exist? That's right. Like we are that. We are the only yes. ways in which we can get things done. Like yeah. So stop exporting your own authority. Yeah. Yeah. And I Am think, I a Gnostic now, Keith? I Am think I you might be. Uh, or, yeah. Or maybe we just need to come up with a better term because I think it's such a loaded term. It's the very average loaded. person, when you say Gnostic, they think you mean... It's a pejorative. Yeah, it's a it's a pejorative. Yeah, they think you mean flesh is evil, spirit is good, and all this kind of stuff. Like, well, yeah. no, that's not what I mean. No, but I think that's that is a fascinating idea too about how, like, going back to the thing about Derek, you know, when he says uh, God doesn't exist, like, well, not in the sense that I used to think of it. No, but at yeah. the same time, everything that exists is God. <laughs> so yeah. it's the opposite way of saying it, like. To say God doesn't exist would be to say nothing exists. Like, well, the fact that everything exists, well, I would say that's God, but not, but not again in the sense of like, oh, God caused it or God created it or no. It, 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 everything yeah. is this expression of God. Like another thing we were talking, uh, Jim and I were talking at the event. Um, he used the analogy of, um, you know, what if I took a cup of water and I went to the went to the ocean and I dipped it in the ocean and I and I said, this is the ocean in the cup. Am I, does that make sense? Is is that the ocean? Well, no. I mean, look look at the ocean. It's massive. It's huge. It goes horizon to horizon and out as far as I can. I can't even see where it ends or begins. So obviously, this cup is not the ocean. But in a way, yes, this is the ocean. Like everything yeah. that makes the ocean the ocean is in this cup, and um, and and that's the way we could say every uh, God. You know, we are all expressions of God. Another analogy, the one I like, is um, is the idea of a flame. Is that, you know, like if there was a massive bonfire and you and I went up to the bonfire and I had a candle and I put my candle in and pulled out a flame and you put your candle in and pulled out a flame. In one sense, you would say you have your flame and I have my flame. And then there's this big bonfire flame and we have three flames. But mm-hmm. in a way, they're all the same fire. There's only one yeah. fire. It's all the same fire. You can you can take pieces of it and and you can. That's one way to look at it. Right. One perspective is to say these are all separate little fires. But they're not. 
they're just the, there's only the one fire. There's only one flame. So this idea that that every flame is one flame, right? Mm. Uh, and and again, this goes back to me what I what I see as what this non-dualistic, the kind of quote unquote Gnostic way of looking things. That's kind of what it's saying is that the same God is in all of us. They're not separate uh, expressions. In a way, they are. There, there's this, you know, you have your personality, you have your perspective. Uh, you know, Alan Watts talks about how um, God is sort of like in disguise or pretending, playing at, you know, living these different lives, being these different people. But at the end, it's all still the same sort of quote unquote God. Again, not a person, not a being, but it's sort of right. a, it's really, it's so hard to talk about it. It's so hard to explain it. The analogy it's impossible to talk down. about. All we can do is point at it. I have a, speaking of Alan Watts, I have a great quote for you. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, Jesus Christ knew he was God, so wake up and find out eventually who you really are. In our culture, of course, they'll say you're crazy and you're blasphemous, and they'll either put you in a jail or in a nut house, which is pretty much the same thing. However, if you wake up in India and tell your friends and relations, my goodness, I've just discovered that I'm God, they'll laugh and say, oh, congratulations, at last you found out. Right, right. And that, again, even that, statement like so i hear people say a lot the other side not that god doesn't exist but to say i am god yeah and there, that that statement i think it makes i'll be honest you know it, it kind of makes me bristle a little bit too you know unless you drill down to what do you mean by that you well know? it's it works in your analogy like yeah, that's what I'm saying. is that the, is that the ocean in the cup right yes and no i right. mean it's it's not the totality of the ocean right but it, it's made of nothing but ocean. That's right. No, no. And see, that's exactly right. So you have to kind of do that mental thing to say, because again, in a Christian uh, monotheistic kind of mindset, right? God is this uh, external separate force, being, source, energy, whatever you want to call it, right? And we are created in the image of that God, but we're still separated from God. And there is even still like a sort of a stage of thinking of God as like this big like you think of like a big circle and uh all humans are sort of like little uh little tendrils that kind of poke out from the circle right that are kind of like uh still connected to god but separate kind of individual experiences from god i i, I kind of went through these stages like I, that's where i went next of like okay yeah, yeah yeah we're all connected to god but even even that is wrong because we're not again necessarily separate pieces of god we're all we really are um we are all filled with the same god or christ whatever you want to talk about it, it is something to really uh, i guess it becomes its own sort of uh philosophical conundrum like we talked about free will and all that other kind of stuff but um i'm much it more interested in that kind of thinking than than the other yeah, it, it, it's a conundrum. This whole thing is very, I mean, it's it's only 930. I'm already exhausted, man. <laughs> but if you, if you, this is why I love like the mystical con- traditions and all the faiths. It's like, I think we're saying the same thing. That's why I, I, I laugh at the people who try to say that because Jesus said these things and because yeah. it sounds like Buddhism or Hinduism, that therefore he must have gone to the East to get this truth. And right. I, and I would tend to think, no, I think this is something we can all discover yeah. about the universe and ourselves and then speak to it through our own cultural lens. Yeah. But 
we're all saying the same thing, but we have a different vantage point. So if I'm pointing to, you know, like the constellations or the moon, and you're pointing at them in El Paso, and I'm in California, we can probably see similar things, but we see them from a different angle. Right. And so it might look a little differently. Yeah. But when we describe it, someone, a third party can look and say, oh, I see what they're doing. They're yep. talking about the same thing, but they're pointing at it. And, and and this is why they're kind of talking past each other, but kind of talking to each other. Yes. Because they all have their own culture and their own life experiences, but they're pointing at this one great truth. And so when you have like Thich Nhat Hans talk about the living Buddha and the living Christ, yeah. his conclusion would have been, well, it's the same thing. Right. From their own, from their own vantage point. Exactly. No, exactly. I, I've always felt that way, or I don't know if I've always felt that way, but I felt that way a long time. Um, because, you know, you, you can't help it when you see, it's not just Buddha and Jesus. It's also, you know, they're, they're, the elements of these same ideas and truths are scattered all throughout, you know, Native American um, yep. mysticism, yep. Um, philosophy, Socrates, um, yep. you know, Hinduism. Yep. And so when I see, like you, like you're saying, like, it's just something that human beings who are sort of in this mystical kind of search, um, they get still, they get quiet, they begin to ponder things, they, they observe different things. They can't help but uh, process their these ideas through their cultural religious lens, right? That's um, all we can do. Right. So they're going to call that by a different name. They're right. going to use words like Brahma or great spirit or atman or source or universe or what truth or love or whatever or uh or yahweh or abba or whatever but at the end of the day yeah it's all the same thing it's all the same kind of idea and um and again that's what really fascinates me that's why i I feel really comfortable saying no no this is where i'm moving this is where i feel like i'm at um I want to embrace that. And so, yeah, my starting point was Christianity and it probably will always be a very, you know, Jesus will always be a very big part of kind of the core, the center of my spiritual, you know, experience and ways of thinking, but I'm definitely widening my circle. I'm expanding my circle. I'm not narrowing it. I'm expanding Mm. it to include all these other ideas and thoughts and voices and stuff. And to me, in a way, there's a, there's a sense in which I could say this is all still quote unquote Christianity. If, if um, we can agree that Valentinus and Ptolemy and uh, these other guys um, were Christians, they thought they were, they said they were, they didn't say they weren't. Um, So in a way, I think these are still quote unquote Christian ideas. There may not be uh, some Christians didn't think they were, but that doesn't mean anything like people have different ideas. But I think you're finding like your true spiritual path when you can hold loosely even Jesus and your Christianity. Because if you're holding loosely and someone snatches it out of your hand, to be like Christ or to be like the Buddha is to let them have it. Yeah. And Jesus said things like that. Like if someone takes your coat or sweater, give them your coat. If someone asks you, walk a mile, walk two of them. You're you're not so that's why that's a part of like I think I'm being even more Christ like when someone 
has come along and says, you're one with the devil. You're a heretic. You're this and that. They've taken away your Christianity and you let them have it. Fine. Sure. Have it. I don't need to create an idol out of Christianity. I don't need to create an idol out of Jesus. Your, your version of Christianity and the things you want to define as Christianity and your understanding of it and your Jesus, you can't really take that away from me. Yeah. You can't take away the Christ in me or my Buddha nature. You you can't, you can say things to me to hurt me or to try to hurt me, but you really can't take that essence from me. So therefore just have it. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I care less and less about those labels and stuff. And and I think I've, I think you and I have talked about this before too. Um, you know, so the the book I'm, that um, should be coming out hopefully in a couple of months. We'll see how long it takes to come out on on embracing mystery. Um, um, it's it's I, a mystery, Keith. It's, it's a, a mystery. mystery. It's definitely a mystery. What it'll you come must out. embrace the mystery of pu- the publishing process. Yes, the the choir publishing schedule. Hey, um, you know, hey, it's all publishers, dude. It, I know it is. I know it is. And I, I know I'm super spoiled. Wendy was Shots reminding fired. me. Shots yeah, fired. Wendy was reminding me, and I'm kind of <laughs> was kind of complaining about it, like, ah, because I want it to come out like, you know, next week. And yeah. Wendy was like, you know, Keith, other publishers, they would tell you it'll be out in, in a year and a half, right? Exactly. So, okay. I'm going to relax. I, 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 I know it. I've got it really, really good. Thank you. I love you, Ralph. I love choir. No he doesn't listen to this shit. I know this isn't a choir. This isn't a, an, an official choir um, <laughs> That's uh, podcast right. here. That's right. I'm just putting it out there. Um, but anyway- <laughs> You know, in the book, I'm talking about embracing mystery and, and all the same kind of things we're talking about in this podcast, really. And um, and yet, as I'm writing the book, I still feel like I have to hold the hand of a lot of my readers when I say something that seems scary, when I say something, I can feel their energy. I can feel them getting nervous. Like, oh, Keith just said something that seems really heretical. And Keith just said something that seems really out there. And then I feel like to calm them down and, and make them feel safe, I have to go, now, now, listen. I know that sounds scary, but look, here's a verse of scripture over here. And here's another verse. And there's another verse, right? And here's a quote from some other church fathers. See, see, this is okay. This is safe. You're okay. And so I still kind of uh, feel at this stage anyway, or at least with my most recent book, um, that I have to quote scripture to kind of um, smooth, coddle, coddle <laughs> some people. And and, 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 uh, and again, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to talk down to people. I, I get it because some people are, People who are, are not where I'm at, you know, I was I was at a place where I needed that too. But I'm but I I'm looking forward. Let's put it this way: I'm looking forward to the day when I can write a book where I don't quote scripture at all, where I don't feel the need to like I need to throw a scripture out there just to validate this point of view or to uh, you know to make somebody feel you know comfortable or comfort them in some kind of like existential. Oh, what am I doing? But yeah. just to be able to say. Hey, here's an idea, and um, what do you think about it? And not have to say, well, you know, Paul said the same thing, and Hebrews, or the author of Hebrews said the same thing, or Colossians said the same thing. Um, yeah, I look forward to that day. I'm, I, I feel like I'm, I'm moving there. I feel like I'm going to definitely get to the place where I'm just going to start writing books that don't, uh, well, don't appeal to that. If you keep moving toward more her- her- heresy, your your um, target audience will become <laughs> more those people who don't care. That's right. That is exactly right. And and that's reality, right? Like when we interviewed Derek Webb, you know, he was talking about that, about how you just have to, as an artist, you have to be true to what is your truth. You have to communicate what you're seeing and what you're feeling. And if people, if the people that were with you at the beginning can come along with you, great. If at some point you leave some people behind, that's okay. You know, they, mm-hmm. they can go. But then here's the thing, but other people are going to come. 
Right. Yep. And so my audience might be shifting a little bit. People that, that were with me with Jesus Untangled, Jesus Unbound, you know, they were with me through all these kind of things. They followed, they tracked with me through Undefeated and all that. Great. That's great. As I move in, away from that series and I move more into this direction of non-duality and Gnosticism and embracing other faiths and expanding expanding my boundaries of spirituality and all that kind of stuff. If some people are going to be like, I can't go there, Keith, that's okay. Because that's other okay people too. are going to resonate. They're going to say, oh, this is good. Yes, I like this. This is, I'm in the same place. And, yep. and that's just the way it's going to be. That's that's the way of the world. It's the way it works. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been another good one. Yeah, man. What should, what should we uh, What should we do next time? I don't know. Do Do we want to lock ourselves into an idea next for next? Hell time? no, <laughs> no. Because I haven't thought about it. Yes. So we'll we'll just leave it a mystery. It's a mystery. It's a it's a mystery. It's like Keith's book in the we'll release embrace, of Keith's book. We'll it's a mystery. mystery. Yes. And uh, yeah. So again, rate and review on iTunes if you could. Takes yes. two seconds. Yeah, people. please do. Please do. And you get know off your asses and put in some work. Yeah. And I would also say too, like if this conversation was stimulating and encouraging to you, you know, share it, you know, share it on yeah. social media. Like, Hey, this was a great conversation. Check it out. Cause that helps too. Um, to share links, to share, you know, uh, and, and let people know, Hey, this really challenged me or inspired me, or hopefully we did one of those things. Um, that was an interesting conversation, you know, let, yeah, let people know about it. And if it didn't arouse you and stimulate you, just share it and say, this is the most boring conversation and I need everyone to understand how boring it is. Yes. I can't believe these guys spent an hour talking about this stupid stuff. Ah, God, these (laughs) stupid idiots. And if you don't like it, just listen to Heretic Happy Hour next week. That's right. We have a great series going on. You'll love it. We, We do. Yeah. In which we both talk very little compared to normal. Yes. You know what? Isn't that, that's kind of what this is about, isn't it? We talk so much less because now that we've added, we have four total co-hosts, right? And, plus and, the, plus and the series, the, yes, yeah. there's a fifth fifth person kind of, and they're doing most of the talking. We're just kind of like going, oh, wow, fascinating. Let me ask a question. Yeah, it's yeah. Fantastic. So, um, and I love that. Some people would say, um, you know, like me talking less probably does improve the quality of the podcast. So, so I understand that. I get that. I've been thinking that a long time, Keith. Yeah. Yeah. I think just you're not a, alone. I'm just kidding. Just busting <laughs> your balls. Just busting yeah. your balls. All right. Well, thanks, Keith. We'll see you uh, next time. All right, man. Take care. All right. Peace. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.